podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. Lots to talk about this week after England's excellent triumph in the one-day series. Looking ahead, of course, to the Test Series that's forthcoming in early August. And also, we've got later an interview with Raul Dravid, the Indian A coach, of course, the legendary batsman. Uh, he's been working with the, the young Indian players. He's got some interesting thoughts about coaching young players in the red ball and white ball formats and also how to preserve the future of Test Cricket as well in various ways so that's coming up after the break but first Simon we should talk about that fantastic success of of England triumphing in that decider at Headingley in the three match one day series that was the kind of performance that you've been calling for with England performing under pressure having to win a deciding match and they did it actually really effectively. I was really surprised that England managed to turn the series around in the way that they did. When I left Trent Bridge last Thursday, I was thinking 3-0, India number one in the world on Tuesday night. It didn't happen. The other really good thing, as far as England were concerned, is they won batting first and they won batting second. And they thumped a really good India team twice. Uh, to win like that, at Headingley in the final match, under pressure bodes well for the future it's got to you don't get many of these sort of high pressure games outside of a world cup and to do it against this India side well it 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 proved a few doubters wrong and it proved me wrong as well I just wondered you know thought thought back to the the start of the summer that defeat by Scotland whether that opened a few cracks in this England one day side just wonder about the bowling and that was exposed at Trent Bridge but to come back like the way they did remarkable achievement Actually, they were quite one-sided games, really. The first one at Trent Bridge, which is very much a stronghold of England, India won really easily, and you sort of started to have your doubts about England's ability and getting bowled out by Kuldeep Yadav, the the left-arm wrist spinner. And then suddenly England come back with a a very strong performance at Lords, batting first, as you say, unusually in the the modern age, batting first and winning, setting a a target which India just seemed incapable of chasing. And we should talk about that in in a bit more detail. And then, you know, the very emphatic win in the final game by eight wickets, with Joe Root getting back-to-back hundreds having been dropped or sort of left out at least from the T20 side and he's come back as an absolute tour de force the the, the turning point obviously that that second match at Laws and a couple of things to say about that firstly England's way that they handled Kuldeep Yadav in the second match having been bowled out comprehensively by him in the first game 6 for 25 and then he took a couple of early wickets in that Lords match and you thought oh dear here we go again Bairstow bowled sweeping and Jason Roy lobbing one to deep mid wicket but interestingly if you compare that the stats of Yadav in the first game and a bit of the second game he took eight for 35 in his first 13 overs in the series and one for 108 in his second 17 overs of the series largely because Joe Root was in occupation at the other end so Joe Root fathomed out his variations and I suppose the others sort of followed suit but 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 Root was really the conquering feature of that series he overcame the threat of Yadav and the other Indian bowlers and I I guess that bodes well for England in in the test series because Kuldeep Yadav has been called up into that Indian test series and uh, actually you you made the point that that's quite an interesting call up because he hasn't played a lot of first class cricket. Well 
I just wondered after, you know, you think of that dramatic ball that Rashid bowled to Virat Kohli in the third one-day international. You think, well, hold on. If Rashid can do this sort of thing, you know, get rid of top-class players like that. I know he hasn't played any first-class cricket this summer, but is it worth pitching him into the Test Series, especially if the pitches are going to be dry? That might sound like a, a left-field suggestion. Well, India, they've seen Kuldeep Yadav take lots of wickets in this white ball summer, and they put him in their Test squad. When was the last time Kuldeep Yadav played a first-class match? It was last August in a Test match for India in Sri Lanka. So you know, he hasn't played any red ball cricket either, but he's in... India's Test match squad. I don't expect England will do the same, but it is a tantalising thought. You know, Rashid doing so well in those last couple of games. Whether you know England could think about it, I'm almost certain that they they won't. Um, but you know, the pitches are going to be dry, and you know, what a great time to bowl spin! What an absolutely fantastic time to bowl spin! I completely agree with you. I've been watching the England Lions match against India at Worcester, and that's a very dry pitch, and the spinners. Dominic Bess and Jack Leach were on fairly early on. And, of course, they're very orthodox spinners. And, actually, the Indian batsmen didn't have a huge amount of problem dealing with them. In fact, Rishabh Pant, who's also been called into the Indian Test squad, the very exciting left-handed batsman and wicketkeeper, he was up the wicket trying to belt Jack Leach into the bleachers straight away and, and successfully did so. So uh, you know, orthodox spin is never something that, that the Indians worry too much about. And the idea of Rashid, who took two for 38 in one of those ODIs and three for 49 in the other, and as you say, completely outwitted and bewitched uh, Virat Kohli as well, it's got to be worth a, a consideration. But, uh, well, we'll see. The other aspect of that uh, Laws One Day International that, that England won was that the strange batting of India sort of late on in their, in their innings because their innings just dried up. And Dhoni in particular seemed to just get stuck. He, he was needing 12, 13 and over, and he was just blocking or angling a few singles. And it, it was strange cricket and rather anticlimactic cricket and in a way very deflating. If you're sitting in the crowd, as, as I was actually, just thinking, what, what is going on here? What, why are they doing this? Is it just Dhoni gradually uh, you know, declining in his ability to dominate? And actually, that was true in the, the final game as well. His strike rate was round about sort of 70. He was 42 off 68 balls in the, in the final game at Leeds. So we are looking at the, the fading of a light, but are we looking at something else as well? Well, what I would say, it was execrable cricket. It was, it was terrible cricket, really bad for the image of the game. Virat Kohli defended Dhoni afterwards and said, you know, this is you know, what can happen sometimes. It's, it's the nature of the game. But there was no attempt to get on with it at all. And Kohli also made the point, he said, well, we didn't want to lose really heavily. We didn't want to get thrashed by 170 runs. You think, well, what sort of message did that send out to the opposition that you, you just want to reduce the, the margin of your defeat? It was a difficult situation that Dhoni and the rest of his colleagues found themselves in, but surely you go for it. If that had been the World Cup final, I mean, last Saturday, it was a year before, exactly a year before the World Cup final. There's no way India would have played like that in a World Cup final. They would have gone for it. They'd have gone down fighting. They'd gone down playing shots. I think even the most loyal India supporters were, were bemused by the way that Dhoni played that day. I just found it inexplicable and surely unacceptable. That's not the way to play one day international cricket. I mean, however much you're struggling, at least you've got to try to give it a go.
And he didn't. And it was, well, he, he did it. He did, I suppose, once. And he was caught on the deep mid-wicket boundary. So, well, OK, well, that, that's what happens when you play a big shot. But it, it had to happen much earlier than that. And it must have been perplexing for the England players out there as well, just to wonder what on earth was going on. I saw Joe Root interviewed afterwards. He was very diplomatic. He just said, you know, he was asked about it in the approach. He just said, well, that, you know, that's no concern of ours. And, 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 and rightly so as well. You just have to focus on your own game. But they must have thought this is a really strange way of approaching one day international. Well, who's to say what was going on there? One thing's for sure, Dhoni is not the player that he was. And I've never seen before at Lords a slow hand clap during a one-day international, especially one featuring India. But anyway, there we are. And maybe we should just also give some credit to England, whose bowling particularly was the thing that, that people worried about. And actually, in the, the two final games, their bowling has come through excellently, not just Rashid and Moen Ali holding an end up very well, but also Mark Wood and actually David Willey seem to have found something extra, Wood getting some movement in that last game. And Willie, just uh, without actually adding any extra pace, he seems to be bowling with a bit more confidence and a bit more bite and obviously contributing with the bat as well. So uh, somebody who we thought was very vulnerable and really not quite at international class level for one-day internationals, unless the ball is really going to do something, has shown himself to be someone that, that is a valuable member of the squad, and he's had quite an influence. Well, really vital that he made those runs at Lords on Saturday, 50 not out, dug England out of a difficult situation. That must lift a player's confidence. I mean, when you contribute, you're, you're going to improve as a result because it just, it just lifts your confidence. And if you contribute with the bat, definitely must help you with the ball. There's a feeling, I think, with the World Cup, you know, 11 months away, that England's batting is going to give them a chance in the World Cup. But the, of course, the bowling and, and not getting smashed as much is going to be vital as well. I mean, they're going to go around the park. It's the, it's the nature of modern one-day international cricket. But it's about not going around the park too much. And I think what's happened in the last two games will have lifted England's confidence collectively you know, as a group. I, you know, I think back to that Scotland match. It was, it, it felt like. Such a, a, a damaging defeat that day. You know, it was a fantastic occasion. I, I know I've spoken about it a few times, but it felt like such a damaging defeat that day because the bowling was annihilated. You think, well, an England side who want to win the World Cup shouldn't disappear all round the park like this, even though it's flat, even though the conditions were good. And, you know, they dragged it back in the Australia one-day series. But, they, you know, then those cracks opened up, up again at, at Trent Bridge. But I suppose in that Trent Bridge match where England were... You know, taken apart. The bowling was sort of taken apart, really. It was because they didn't have the runs on the ball. They didn't have the runs to defend on that pitch, on that ground, which is such a high-scoring ground. So, yeah, I mean, they, they collectively, they've done really well in the last two games. Goodness me, it's going to be so much, though, about on the day, isn't it, when we get to next year. The group match is fine. You'd be surprised if England didn't finish in the top four in the round-robin group at the start, and then it's going to be all on the day in a potential semi-final. And, and can you stand up to that pressure? And I suppose matches like Tuesday's game at Headingley shows that you, know, you can win those one-offs, and that you know, will breed confidence. Yeah, and well done to England. Now it's eight series wins in a row in one-day internationals and 11 out of 12. The only series they've lost recently was 
the the one in India three match series which was was very tough and actually they haven't been beaten at home in a one day series since September 2015 I'm discounting by the way the one off game against Scotland because that wasn't an actual series and they haven't lost in in the UK in a series since 2015 so that that's really an impressive consistency of performance from the England one day side and will that help the England test side will the, the performance against the Indians breed confidence for the England test side moving forwards well we'll talk about that after the break when we'll also hear from the legendary Raul Dravid Welcome back, and don't forget this podcast, by the way, is in association with Cricketer Magazine, and the new issue is out this week, and it's a, a bit of a groundbreaking issue, actually, because we sat down for, for some time and talked about the way that, that county cricket and the domestic game is being organised, worrying about the, the, the dominance of the white ball and the, or the relegation of the red ball and the championship to sort of second or, or third rank and not having consistent four-day matches during the summer uh, so we sat down actually and listened to the to the readers views as well we had over a thousand replies to our survey about the future of the game and we've drawn up a, a sort of schedule an itinerary for the year 2020 which hopefully embraces an awful lot of the concerns of cricketer readers and, and cricket fans generally to try and spread the the way that the game is played out in a more even fashion which hopefully will help England's test future actually I've been at the England Lions match at Worcester for uh, the last couple of days and it's funny actually there's been sort of jockeying for position with players wanting to play in that match because David Milan for instance hasn't had all that much Red Bull cricket recently. He's been playing in the T20 Blast for Middlesex. His last Red Bull match, he got a pair against Kent against the Pink Ball. So, in a way, players, although they're on the fringes of England's one-day side, and he could have played in that final match at Headingley when Jason Roy was injured, Milan actually was keen to get some Red Bull practice or you know some Red Bull time uh, against some proper opposition in preparation for the Test Series. And the man who, who made the most use of that time, of course, inevitably, was Alistair Cook. It, it was funny, actually, watching him bat in the, in the first two days of that match at Worcester against a, you know, a keen Indian attack. It, it reminded me, in a way, of a, a teetotaler practising total abstinence. Cook just knocking his singles away through the leg side, leaving the ball well, judging it well, not trying, being drawn into to playing anything out of his comfort zone, not trying to drive the ball or pull the ball or play anything that was, was in, in the road is a bit flamboyant. And then just occasionally, when the Indian spinners were on, he'd step down the pitch and hit one over the top with mid-on and mid-off in the ring and bang one over the top for four, uh, almost as if it was a, a sort of quick shot of tequila and then he go back to <laughs> sipping water again, uh, knocking it, nerdling it for runs through the leg side and 180 was the result. Whereas the two sort of inheritors, the successors of his left-hand title in a way, were well, one of them, Nick Gubbins, much younger, potential opening batsman and, and Milan himself, you know, they got to 70, but then they couldn't help themselves and went for a big drive and dragged one on. So it, it was an absolute exhibition from Cook in how to build an innings, construct an innings, to stay in, to give the bowlers absolutely not a sniff of a wicket. And I don't know whether actually that lesson would have sunk into some of the, the Indian batsmen watching, some of the Indian, young Indian players who are absolute dashers and may not have really seen an innings like that played before. How strong was the Indian bowling, Simon? I think it was decent. It was, uh, I'd say, 
uh, keen it would be the word I'd use for, for in the Indian bowling. Three brisk seamers, Saini, Rajput and Siraj, uh, two of whom have played in the IPL. Siraj was probably the best. He took four wickets and kept going really well. They were bowling you know, mid-80s miles an hour. And I, I guess, uh, you know, definitely India have got now uh, a real collection of probably 10 to 12 uh, bowlers of, of decent pace who could all play test cricket. None of them, I'd say, are absolutely exceptional, but all of them are, are lively and could do a job. And that's certainly a, a, a change from Indian cricket in the past. The spinners they had were, I thought, pretty ordinary. Giant Yadav, who's played test cricket, looked uh, pretty innocuous. And Nav- and uh, Shabazz Nadim, the left-arm spinner, yeah, OK, n- nothing special, really. So I think the Indian spin reserves aren't necessarily as strong, ironically, as their seam reserves. And you've been speaking to Raul Dravid, who's overseeing it all. I mean, he's had a, he's been over here for a while, and they've been over here for a while, this India A side. My, my attention was caught by Agarwal and Shaw, two young players. Shaw, only, only 18 years of age, and they've got, they think he's got a big future ahead of him. One match, they put on 181 inside 28 overs when they were 240 behind on first innings against the West Indies. And you said, you know, you said they would have been out there watching Cook play, just nudging and nerdling and occasionally playing attacking shot. I wonder what they would have learned from that experience of, of watching someone with that many test runs and face that many test match deliveries bat in a, in a warm-up game like that. Well, it's a very good question. And actually, I was really impressed with Prithvi Shaw. Uh, he's not in the Indian test squad, but he won't, it won't be long. He's 18. He looked like, and I know this is an inevitable comparison, but he did look like a fledgling Tendulkar in the way that he moved around the crease, his compact defence, his simplicity of movement, the, the, the sort of punch drives that he unfurled, the time he had, the beautiful whip off his pads, of flicking it through the leg side. I mean, he rattled up a 50 while the other bats and were scratching around and, and losing their wickets. He looked absolutely immense and that is a name to really watch out for in the future in all formats of the game because he scored rapidly in, in the IPL as well and has that sort of uh, pull drive shot off a length ball over long on for six, which few others can play, but it is an emerging shot in the game. But he also has a very good defence. And I think one of the things about him and one or two of the other young Indian batsmen is that they've got this man, Raul Dravid, working with them, who I think is is very admiring of their skills and their flamboyance and is just trying to gradually, almost subliminally, uh, help them develop a a longer game so that they're able to adapt their game for both uh, different formats and red ball and white ball. And uh, it was just interesting to talk to him during that game about how he approaches coaching them generally and particularly about being flexible in how he advises the way they move their game forwards. It's one of the things I learned um, and, and I think it was better off for it was how to manage my time off the field better uh, when I when I started playing, I was a really intense guy and I was very intense and I was probably almost too intense off the field as well um, and, and I could, could never really relax. But I think in time I learned the importance of actually relaxing and the importance of actually switching off and doing different things. And Meditation? Was meditation something was something I, exp- I uh, explored and, and, and did a bit of and I again, that was something that I actually worked out um, uh, uh, a sort of meditative routine that worked for me. Um, So I did a bit of meditation in the morning of a game and I did one again in the evening. Uh, Again, I introduced that to a lot of our under-19 boys. Again, not with the, with, you know, telling them that if it works for you, yes. There are boys, I mean, I've played with some great players who 
who didn't actually believe that meditation worked for them because they fell asleep or they felt no this doesn't work for me and this is bullshit and and, and that's fine you know and that's absolutely fine because it's you, you can't say that something works just because it worked for me it should work for somebody else but i think you know i think that that in that sort of curiosity and that inquiring mind is important and then you explore different things that that actually figure out what if you if you work on the premise that yes you know i need to conserve energy i need to be need to learn to switch on and off the field and what helps you switch on and off the field is 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 really up to you and and you've got to figure that out and convince your coaches and convince the people that you work with that this is what um, is is actually working working for me you know and i think there's a bit more awareness of those things now um so even even in the coaching side of things i find one of the things is that you know sometimes we're very um it's a team oriented sport and we get very uh, everything's about team and it's about you know there's a morning for example the morning drill you know um you know as a batsman sometimes the the worst thing i hated was actually to have to come out and do the warm ups and and it be hot in india you know you've got to bat the whole day um you really want to concentrate you just want to you know in fact the best thing for me would have been to do a few knockdowns do a little bit of maybe stretching use a tr- trainer or physio to do that and actually sit in sit in the in, in the dressing room for half an hour with a cup of tea and and just concentrate and think about the game or just relax but know that you know i'd have to go and do uh, the warm ups and do fielding practice and do all of that uh, because it was thing so it's one of the things that the coach have tried to so we tried to say that okay we we're happy to for you to be a little bit more Uh, individualistic Fle- about it flexible. flexible about it and not say that if so if you don't want to do the warm ups in the morning no problem don't you don't have Because to do it, it someone like Rohit Sharma strikes me as a sort of person who probably doesn't want to do all the kind of manic kind of fitness and stretching and stuff he he's Absolutely. just a natural player yeah. who probably needs to conserve energy really. yeah who's grown up hitting a lot of balls who, who you know who's got a good relaxed temperament he knows uh, you know having worked with Rohit he's, a, he's quite a relaxed guy he, he's just, you know very uh, um this is very talented good young cricketer yes i mean I, the, the so the the fitness side of things definitely does help in your fielding and longevity and all of that and you get to balance that out uh, but sometimes just having that flexibility is really really important and i think uh, it's a bit more of an awareness around those things now and, and we try and here try and give people that individual space in and around the team environment yes, you mentioned uh, alistair cook's 180 in this match what would your sort of younger generation of batsmen of of gleaned from that what would you hope they would have gleaned from it you know i i'd really hope that they gleaned um the fact that um here was someone who recognized very very quickly that this is a flat wicket you know and um if i bat the whole day i'm going to get a a pretty decent score here uh, i don't have to score all my runs in the first session you know i can do it over three sessions i have three sessions to do this um just because it's flat I, flat i don't have to be playing all the shots in the book um i know what my strengths are i know um the areas i'm very strong and where i can i'm confident i can score in and and just construct an innings and enjoy doing what he did you know i'm sure there's a there's a level of satisfaction that alistair cook would have got from yesterday's innings i know it's a flat wicket and maybe didn't challenge him as much as say some of his test innings might have or a, or 100 at perth might have but there's a level of satisfaction that someone like him you know gets from doing this and that's something i find sometimes young players today they they get satisfied only when they hit boundaries or sixes or fours or they scoring at a particular rate you know and uh, and that's if you want to bat become alistair cook and bat for that long period of time and have a, that long a career in the in the red ball game um then i think you need to have days like this as well where you actually enjoy batting the whole day and it's uh, 
you know, I loved it. I loved batting the whole day. But sometimes in the fast-paced world we live in and the amount of one-day cricket they practice, sometimes I, I, I sometimes wonder if some of the boys actually ever get satisfaction from a good leave. You know, they want to hit everything in the middle of the bat. Or they want to hit boundaries. And only that gives them satisfaction. So they're not willing to sometimes be patient. And, you know, there were, there were times yesterday when our spinners were bowling with a mid-on, mid-off up. You know, I don't know how many young batsmen will... And Anastu Cook, in spite of that, he didn't go over the top very often. He, he, you know, he's still happy to hit the ball to deep cover and take singles and rotate the strike and wait for his opportunity. I'm not sure many young batsmen are going to do that today. They, they, as soon as they see the mid-on, mid-off up there, it's going to go over the top. You know, they're going to take that chance. So, so In so a way, you're saying that perhaps the likes of you and and him are a sort of dying breed really it is i, I think i think we are i mean in, in a lot are you of fighting against the tide in a way i mean do you think there could ever be more players like that the way the game has has, has evolved maybe not maybe not unless the wickets change if we have more challenging wickets if they make more challenging wickets in four day cricket and uh, make the wickets that actually give the bowlers a bit more uh, help then yes then you'll see a revival of uh, We've got a few players on our team as well who, who who bat in a very similar way, and they don't play white ball cricket for in in, and and so they're almost. Uh, uh, but but again, they you know Something I can like sense Nuri a, Vijay, I mean who who yeah or Cheteshwar Pujara for example, Pujara, you know, yeah, um, yeah. and I and I can sometimes sense the frustration because they're not involved in cricket for half the year. Mm. It's it's easy for Cook to make the decision. He's played a lot of cricket but a young cricketer going up he wants to be involved in the game 12 months of the year and if you tell him that no you can only be involved for four or five months when it's red ball and not the rest of the year he's he's not going to like it and, and who would you know you want to be you want to be playing cricket all the time you want to be um, you want to be involved so so I think but but you've look I think I think the other example is that you've, you've got players who've who've shown that you can succeed in all the three formats of the game guys like Virat Kohli is a really good example for us you know A.B. De Villiers Joe Root, uh, Joe Root. Um, you guys are showing that in every country they've got role models who can actually um, you know play uh, all the formats of the game so that's I think a positive and that's what we keep telling these boys that yes I mean I think you can do all formats of the game if you're willing to understand that each of those formats requires slightly different demands and challenges and, and, and you have to practice them you know and, and maybe the red ball format actually requires um, you to practice things that sometimes are very uncomfortable you know going in the nets and facing bouncers is not the most comfortable thing you know standing in the middle of the net and having someone throw down and you can tonk it into the stands is a is a, is a very nice feeling <laughs> and it's, it must give you a great eye but uh, but yeah but that's uh, but you know that's a skill that's very valuable in, in white ball or 20 ball 20 over cricket but then if you want to succeed in red ball cricket, you learn, need to learn the other skill, other skills as well. You know. You mentioned test cricket there. So what do you see as, uh, as, as the future for test cricket? Do you feel that it almost needs to be a positive game to help it survive? Or do you think it can survive in its sort of current format? Uh, what I'd really like to see is if we can have a good even contest between bat and ball. Uh, wickets, I think. We played a game last week at, uh, at Taunton on a really good wicket, which... Uh, you know, give us something in it for everyone. You know, and I think that was uh, that was brilliant. It was a great game to be a part of, and it was exciting. And it gave everyone actually you, every skill was on display. It's not just guys who can bat on flat wickets. Where if you batted well, you you could score runs, and there were shots on offer. It was a fast outfield. If you bowled quick, you there was something in it for you. You the, the ball swung. So I, I think if if we can get the wickets right, and if we can play on good cricket wickets, then. I think it becomes exciting and challenging for everyone, and, and I think it was a great spectacle as well. So, yeah. So for me, would that I think be the message? If you if you go back to India now, 
uh, when you, this tour is over, you, you pass that kind of message on to, to the people running Indian cricket to say, you know, the most important thing about protecting the test game is to make the pitches interesting so that there is a good contest. Absolutely, there is. And, and I mean, we try and do that, at least at the A level, we're definitely trying to get um, play on slightly better wickets and, and, and wickets that there is something in it for everyone. Um, sometimes the international game is... You know, sometimes its results are very, very, you know, uh, important in the international game, and and it can, you know, uh, teams and, and not only. You mean winning at home? Winning at home becomes it's become so important that I think all teams are, are beginning to try and use home advantage to the maximum, which, which I don't have a problem with as such. I mean, it's it's exciting to be able to go and succeed in India, uh, or for for India to come here and, you know, if, if England were to produce uh, wickets with a seam and, and and swing, which which I think they might. I think it's a great challenge for some of our boys to be able to, you know, do well and, and, and do well in these conditions and uh, and try and win a test match here. So, yeah, I don't have a problem with that at the international level of teams, uh, as long as it doesn't go over the top, of, of using home advantage to their best of their ability. Um, well, actually, you've got a better balanced attack uh, India probably now than you've ever had in a way. I mean, with a, a lot of potentially good pace bowlers as well as spinners. Yeah, exactly. And I think even if you go back to the last series, the one test match actually India won was actually on a, on a seeming track in, at Lord's when it, it, it seemed a lot and Bhuvneshwar Kumar bowled really well and Rahane got an excellent 100. Vijay, I thought, batted really well as well. So, And that was the only test match India won in the series. Uh, and even if you go back over the last decade or so, even the time I was playing, and sometimes the test matches you know that, that we won overseas were always wickets that, that did a bit because it brought our bowlers into the game and you, know, you knew you were able to get 20 wickets and all it required was two of or three of your class batsmen to be able to get runs and, and, and you were in the game. Yes, you could lose a few, but you were always in the game. Uh, the difficulty was when you when you felt that you could not take 20 wickets and then you're, you know, right, you're behind the game straight away. So uh, that becomes difficult. And I think this time India has an attack, which I believe they can be pretty confident going into the test match that we can take 20 wickets. So it should be an interesting series. I, I think England's very good, strong, very strong team at home. A lot of depth as well. They bat very deep. So it should be interesting. And actually, I mean, is this the beginning, perhaps? For, you know, you've lived through a bit of the West Indies in the late uh, 80s, early 90s, and then Australia's dominance in the 90s and 2000s. Could this be a period where Indian, India dominate the world game, do you think? Uh, I'd hope so, <laughs> as someone who's involved in Indian cricket and obviously a fan of Indian cricket. Um, I definitely am more confident about the white ball uh, part of our game. Uh, I, I definitely think having been now coached at a level just slightly below the international level and seeing the quality of, of our white ball game, uh, I have no doubt that we are going to be a force to reckon with in white ball T20 one-day cricket um, for the foreseeable future. Whether we dominate or not is dependent on a lot of things, but I have no doubt that we are going to be very, very competitive. And it's shown in our results. I mean, even in you know, semi-finals of the World Cup, Champions Trophy finals. So we're always going to be pushing for titles. Um, the red ball game is slightly different. I think we still have a little bit of way to go. Um, to say that we can... Uh, You're number one in the world. Yes, we are, but but I, I still think that, you know, um, we can be better. And, 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 and to talk about the dominance that you say or to have that level of consistency, I think that's a different kettle of fish. Being number one in the world for a few months is different to uh, the examples you use. Yeah. And that level of dominance, uh, I think, in red ball cricket, we, I'm not saying that we can't get there and, and we certainly have the talent. But uh, it's going to require a little bit more. Um, it's going to require a little bit more um, work.
work and this is a bridge between our domestic game and the international game is quite large at the moment and we need to find that uh, we, we need to we need to be able to bridge that gap in the white ball game you know the the our domestic cricket and then the IPL makes, makes a big difference as well because it's like a bridge between the international game and a lot of our young players are getting a huge amount of exposure in the white in white ball cricket at the IPL so which is fantastic but we need to create the similar kind of thing in red ball cricket if we want to be uh, consistently successful i mean potential is there but uh, but yeah but like i say i'll probably be more confident in white ball cricket well he's always worth listening to ral dravid i i i love that bit where he says i wonder if the boys get satisfaction from a good leave and just sense that <laughs> ral dravid who faced 31000 balls in test cricket i mean he, he, clearly he enjoyed a good leave every now and again they're not willing to be patient i mean it must be so hard they're growing up in this sort of feverish uh, atmosphere of, of white ball cricket and making lots of money at an early age from white ball cricket as well through the IPL. You know, it, it is a different game from when Rahul started playing. It, it's just fascinating to see how he manages it. I mean, I also, I, mean, I totally agree about the future of Test cricket. It's absolutely vital to see a, an even contest between bat and ball. There's got to be something there for the bowlers and, and lots of home teams. You know, they do tend to load pitches in, in their favour. Whatever they see as their particular strength, they, they tend to load it in, in their favour. We just need that balance between bat and ball. That That's what will get people talking about test match cricket. That will what you know, contain some of the bursting dam, if you like, that, that all the water gushing towards white ball cricket and T20 in particular. If you, if you do have that balance, then it, it does give test cricket an, an extra piquancy um also as well the, you know the fact that he said i you know i don't think india are, are on the verge of, of dominating for a decade certainly they are in white ball cricket and i i agree with that and i i think that even though india have lost this one day series to england they'll be back they'll be back next summer make no bones about it they'll be a real contender for the world cup next summer they'll, they'll sort things out and provide a real challenge to england and whoever else can they do it in test cricket well that remains to be seen. You know, bowl is absolutely key, I think, to having holding sway and being really dominant in in the Test match arena. Yeah, and that, actually, one of their losses in this series was Jasprit Bumrah, who who didn't play in the One Day series and won't be available for the first Test either. And what they lacked was a mystery bowler, really. Well, actually, I say that, but obviously Kuldeep Yadav provided that mystery early on, but then England figured him out, and uh, so they didn't really have anything else to go with that was going to take wickets. Uh, but Boomer is someone who's a bit different. I don't think he can be a test bowler that can take wickets at 25. They need to find somebody who can do that, because at the moment they have test bowlers who can take wickets, at, say, an average of about 30, but to be really dominant, they need someone who's going to be bowling teams out for occasionally 140 and taking six for 25 or six for 45 or something. I don't really see them having a bowler like that. I think the other point that that Raul Dravid makes, which is quite interesting, is that if you are a red ball specialist, you are only going to be playing cricket for three or four months of the year because there's so much one-day white ball cricket around. So it's a difficult decision for players who are specialists, like a Pujara, for instance, or an Alistair Cook. How long do they go on for? And if you're a young player... Um, you you do want to play all formats of the game. So it's taxing for a player because someone like Prithvi Shaw is going to have to be able to adapt his game really quite dramatically. Uh, A strike rate of less than 120 
130 in white ball cricket is not going to be tolerated anymore. Someone like Ajinka Rihani, who's a beautifully talented player, is not even in the one-day side now because his strike rate, one-day strike rate, is only about 118. But whereas, of course, in test cricket, you've still got to be able to weather those awkward periods if you are on a, a helpful pitch for bowlers, uh, playing against the Duke ball, for instance. You are going to have to have that technique and that application which Dravid talks about. And those are two very, very different, starkly different disciplines which batsmen are going to have to be able to accommodate. And you can see why the white ball is, is a more alluring route. You can see why 2020 is just more alluring. You can see why players want to play 2020 and go down that route and, and make lots of money. But of course, you know, there's that feeling that the real test is to be that all-round cricketer, to be Coley. In a way, it's great that Coley has put so much emphasis on test cricket as well and being a star in, in test cricket because, you know, that will encourage other players to, to go down that route. I think, you know, someone like Joe Root, who, who actually is, is a very good test player and, and a very good one day player but not such a good T20 player and he wants to improve that side of his game he wants to go and play in the big bash in Australia to put himself forward for England's T20 team for the 2020 World Cup in Australia I would just say as well just while we're on the subject of Root and you alluded to it at the start how vital that, that his contribution has been not just for England winning the series but for the test series it was essential that Root got back to form give him confidence as a captain going into that test series he's had such a patchy summer and it's really important that he gets some runs in the test series of England are to stand a chance even though India have lost the one day international series I still think that they're going to be a big threat in this test series they have prepared pretty well for it the pitches are going to be dry and this is an England test side that is not at the really top level, it's there's there are some problems in it. We've identified them before, and I think India will really test England in August and September. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it actually, and I I just love listening to to Raul Dravid. Actually, he talks so thoughtfully and in, in measured tones, and I, I wish he'd been my coach when I was playing because well, he would have helped <laughs> he my have batting. Sorted you out. He well, I, I tell you what, you he could have, he could have definitely helped me become a better batsman or at least a batsman of sorts. And I'm afraid to say that my batting is not improving because I played my one off match uh, for a wandering team called Millfield last Sunday in the middle of Highgate Wood, the most beautiful setting, actually, for a cricket match. And I have to say, the, uh, the, the, the Hughes bowling skills live on because I played with my two sons, Callum of 20 and Billy of 15, playing his first senior game. And we took seven wickets between us, Billy the most, three for, for, for five off one over. So the Hughes bowling dynasty lives on, but we didn't contribute a run between us. So what? the batting inadequacy also lives on. Did you ever get a good satisfaction from a good leave? One or two accidental leaves when I was facing Alan Donald and I wasn't quick enough to get the bat down. So no, not really. From the ridiculous to the sublime, next week we'll focus in a little bit more depth on that blueprint that we drew up at the Cricketer magazine to try and create a more even spread of matches throughout the season to satisfy cricket fans uh, of all persuasions. We also have uh, an interview with Darren Goff to look forward to as well. So plenty in the show for next week and we'll preview, of course, the Test Series coming up against the Indians starting on August the 1st. In the meantime, enjoy your cricket wherever you are and thanks for listening.
Social Podcast Network.